Welcome to The Eventful Entrepreneur. I'm Roger Woodall, founder of the Bournemouth Sevens, the world's largest sport and music festival. With all events in 2020 grinding to a halt, I'll be bringing people back together, but in a different way. On this week's episode, I'm speaking to former Samoan rugby captain, Daniel Leo. He sacrificed his own career to confront corruption in the Samoan Rugby Union. His documentary called Oceans Apart, Greed, Betrayal and Pacific Rugby is a must-see for everyone. It's both fascinating and shocking to hear about the raw deal that some of the Pacific Island nations get in terms of international rugby. And Dan is an absolute legend for facing the problem head on. If you want to hear more stories like this, make sure you subscribe to The Eventful Entrepreneur, leave us a cheeky review and follow us on Instagram and YouTube. Here is the man himself, Mr. Daniel Leo. Dan, how you doing, buddy? Can't complain. Uh, a couple of wines down. Happy uh, days. Yeah, so I'm, I'm in a good spot, mate. Uh, it's yeah. not, uh, nine thirty here in uh, in uh, Brisbane, but probably about uh, probably what, eight, nine thirty or ten thirty in the morning for you guys. In it the is, UK, mate. So I'm drinking water, good. and I can and I can see you with a big glass of red wine there. You said to me, mate, well, this is a podcast where we keep it real yeah. and we, uh, <laughs> we speak some 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 home truths, and sometimes yeah, those are. The things that we want to hear sometimes they're not but uh hey mate, let's, do it, <laughs> let's do it mate this is all about truths mate no jargon no bullshit let's tell it how it is and let's go for it so let's get cracking let's go back let's go back a bit further then so what age were you when you first came to the to england to play professional rugby Man, I was uh, I was quite I was quite a late developer when it comes to rugby. Um, I didn't start playing seriously until I was uh, eighteen or nineteen, um, which is quite you know very late. Um, when you look at uh, a lot of the the island boys that come across, particularly to this country, um, you know, most most of the guys you know uh, who are playing professional rugby have probably been on that pathway from sort of thirteen or fourteen years old when they're earmarked and given a scholar, that first scholarship opportunity. Um, for me, it was a lot later than that. Um, I came through the Queensland Reds. Uh, I, I moved from New Zealand to, to Australia when my dad did for, for uh, job job purposes and wasn't playing rugby. But just just like anyone, I just you know thought, well, how am I going to make friends here in a new country, a new city I'd never lived in? I just went, you know, like a lot of us, I just went down to my uh, local rugby club um, here in uh, Brisbane, where I'm, I'm back now. And uh, yeah, um, mate, the rest happened from there. I just had a, happened to have a, a good season, uh, a few lucky um, lucky moments. Um, you know, uh, not the best player by any stretch of the imagination, but it seemed that as uh, by the luck of the dice, every every game I did play well, and uh, there seemed to be a selector at that particular match, which yeah. um, sort of sort of landed me into the uh, Red, Queens and Reds Academy. And then uh, from there, I played, I was lucky enough to uh, play super, super rugby for from one year. Wow. And then uh, and then I uh, played for Samoa. So I came over to England in 2005, the, end, wow. the, the beginning of 2005, end of 2004 uh, to Wasps. And uh, yeah, um, I was, wow. I was, I was 20, 23 at that, at that stage. So yeah, so quite, we, quite. So if we just break, if we just break that down, because this whole conversation is going to be about Pacific Island rugby players and, and kind of how they end up in Japan or how they end up in New Zealand or in Europe or playing for England, who gave you the opportunity and did you have a clue about England and Wasps at the time? No clue at all about England and Wasps at the time. I'd, I'd seen, uh, you know, 2004 or 2005 um, when I came over. Obviously, England were world champs. 
Um, and I, all, all, the only players that I knew out of that England team uh, and the Wasps team that I was arriving into were Lawrence Delalio, Josh Lucy, uh, Simon Shaw, and, uh, and and Matt Dawson was uh, the halfback at the time as well. Didn't know anyone else in the squad. Yeah. Um, knew very little about English rugby apart from the fact that uh, Trevor Liotta, a uh, famous Samoan player um, um, that I sort of looked up to, had been at the club uh, just before me and uh, also uh, Inga Tuingamala. So those are the, the, the shoes I guess I was uh, arriving at the club to expect it to fill. Um, and also, you know, a lot of a lot of guys, you know, um, we've got a mutual friend in Junior Paramore who was at yep. Gloucester, uh, Terry Fanalua, Freddie Tuilangi, um, you know, Pat Lamb and, the, and those kind of guys. Uh, true, performing. true legends of the game. Yeah, had really set that platform. So we were, we were a hot commodity as Samoans back then because, uh, you know, Samoa had done really well in, uh, you know, you know against England in, in the 2003 World Cup, but also in the pre- previous World Cups, 99, 95 and 91. Yeah. Um, so, you know, um, almost like what we're seeing with the Fijians now, um, you know, that was us as Samoans back in the early 2000s. You know, if you had a Samoan passport and a Kiwi accent, mate, you were, you were hot property and you'd get a contract even if you were rubbish at rugby. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Like I <laughs> <laughs> mate, don't want to put yourself down, mate. You're a class player. What are you, what are you six yeah. foot three, six foot four? Uh, yeah, six, 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 six. I was actually six five, but uh, I arrived at uh, I arrived at Wasps, um, and they expected me to play in the second. The Simon is the second row, but when I got there, you know, Simon Shaw, Tom Palmer, we had, um, yeah. you know, we had with with three three or four guys who were just absolute giants so they, they they looked at me and they looked, look you're not you're not in the class yeah. of some of these world-class locks that we've got so we're going to chuck you in the back row um, and at that time was was sort of going through a re rejuvenation re, uh, of you know they had Delalio and uh, Joe Worsley um, at the time and then they had a lot of young up-and-coming guys like James Haskell and Tom Reese who probably were there or thereabouts but they they sort of used me as a bit of a stop filler uh, while those guys were sort of breaking through the ranks and the older guy the old guard couldn't play as many games as no, they probably yeah. used to you know so yeah so I was just just uh, as I said I, I was very lucky in my career to uh had good games when the selectors were looking and also just to be in the right places at the right time and I can't I can't really uh, claim that I was a you know a fantastic uh player um but um, Mate, I think, to play uh, hold on hold on hold on to play for your country 39 times to play for wasps and win European cups and titles mate you were a class act as I say, mate, you know, just uh, as I say, probably right, more, 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 more right place at the right time. But yeah. um, you know, it's uh, and it's been a pleasure, and hopefully, hopefully, mate, um, you know, the value that I can bring to the Pacific Islands and Samoa rugby is more, uh, more so off the pitch than uh, anything I ever did on. Mm. There's a lot. There's a lot of stories with the Samoans, Tongans, Fijians playing in in England or Europe, and not understanding the value of money or understanding their value. Did you find that when you come across? Yeah, yeah, um, definitely. Um, I mean, I didn't know, something that you don't really recognise as a, as a young player, but as I sort of built into my career, and um, you know, after sort of thirteen years of playing here, you sort of realise that actually a lot of the island boys do get offered under the market value, um, more so in the southern hemisphere um, than over here in the, in the in the north, and that's probably why so many players leave. You know, um, a player like Junior Paramore, who was fantastic. You amazing. Know, uh, and a good you know, top man. Amazing, amazing, yeah. uh, Michael Mungo, those are the, the reality is is that I, I was I was earning uh double the amount 
um, that I would have uh, earned if I'd been, if I'd stayed in Australia playing for the Queensland Reds as a non-Australian um, qualified player. Um, so you know the the, the market forces are, are, are strong. I guess on the flip side of that, you know, come all the all the difficulties of having to readjust to you know a totally different climate, uh, different cultural um, uh, forces. Um, you know, being you know, a long, long way away from home when we're, you know, we're very relational as Pacific Islanders. So, um, you know, we're very, um, you know, we, we, we rely a lot on our families, our churches, our villages for that, uh, you know, and, and, and all of that, you know, the proximity of being away from those has a big impact on mental health. So there is, you know, um, the, the downsides, but financially um, coming to, to the Northern Hemisphere uh, on the most part for Pacific Islanders is, is, a, is a massive draw. Yeah, yeah. And did you do you find a lot of the players are sending money back to the villages back in Samoa, Tonga, and Fiji? Yeah, um, and again, that's that's that shifts. I'm, in my experience, um, I've been uh, CEO for Pacific Rugby Players Welfare now for the last five years, um, and that's um, we, we find that with the Pacific Island players, um, you know, on on, on uh, there's, there's there's a wide scale, and, and you know, a lot of that depends on you know. For, for me, I've only got one Samoan parent. My dad, my my mum's a Kiwi, so uh, she's a she's a white Kiwi of of uh, English and Irish ancestry. So the you know the the, the pressure on me is half yeah. what it would be on <laughs> someone who's you know who's got two parents from Samoa or from yeah. Fiji or Tonga. You know? yeah. So you know there's a massive scale on that. Um, and in my experience, um, all all the players uh, have that have have that as a uh, you know as a motivating factor for why they come over is to support their families in some sort of context, whether that be you know them sending five or ten percent of their earnings back, which which would be a minimum. Um, I've seen players who send, you know, ninety percent of their of their salaries back, you know, to the point where it's detrimental to them and their families living yep. here in, in England, you know, um, because, you know, they're, you know, they're just they're just sending everything back and then, you know, to the point where they haven't even, you know, they can't even put shoes on their on their kids' feet to send them to school. In a place like England, you can do that in Samoa. Yeah, you know where, yeah. it's, where the climate's warm and uh, you know you don't need much. Whereas uh, you know you you need money to be able to survive here, yeah, particularly through uh, the winter in, in yeah. the UK. So yeah, it's 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 it's. I mean, that's something that we um, you know as, as, as I said, it's it's a cultural phenomenon. Uh, we we encourage that because that's what makes us you know Pacific Islanders is that we look after our families and you know there's no such thing as a care home back in Samoa. Um, you have you have. 10 kids you have 12 kids because you know you you that's your that, that's your insurance mate that's your yeah, insurance mate. they're gonna they're gonna look after you. and that's probably what it was like here you know 100 years ago yeah. um so so that's um something that we encourage the place to do but you know trying to do that within reason and actually saying look if you're doing that to the point where you're eating crap all week because you know you can't afford to you know to you know to eat good food that's actually detrimental to to your to your career and actually um it's about you know sustaining that not just while they're playing but also trying to create that mindset that if they if they look after the money that which is in a lot of you know in most cases is really good money while they're playing you know actually they can they can develop that to, to a point where they can uh, sustain their families uh for, for, for a lifetime as opposed to just the the period of their uh of their rugby careers yeah, yeah. so um yeah um yeah big big job to do mate it's um big job. You know, yeah, we've got it. We 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 come from a handsome mouth culture, you know. Uh, you know, you you go and you go and you go and um, 
fish and you, you, you catch a fish or you you know pull a, a taro plant out of the out of the ground you eat it you, you pull it out uh, yesterday and you eat it tomorrow yeah. and that's the reality you know we don't plan ahead you know um, and that's um, that's that's one of the difficulties that a lot of us have coming to grips with uh, with um, with modern day living I suppose absolutely so to put this in perspective there's two hundred thousand people in Samoa the population yeah yeah, wow. yeah just and you yeah, produce all this talent coming out of there. Yeah, uh, mate. Um, Tonga, That's Tonga, wild. Yeah, yeah. Tonga, Tonga are about a hundred thousand. So, uh, and then Fiji. You know, Fiji have got a got a million, but then half of that half of that population are Fijian ethno Fijian Indians who don't play rugby. You know, so they've you know when um, their, their population is probably a little bit uh, deceiving. You know, re- realistically, of their rugby playing populations is five hundred thousand. So, um, yeah, very small populations, mate. Yeah, we do we do punch above our weight massively. Wow, massively, man. So just put this. In perspective you're super sharp and i look at the samoan rugby nation when you're playing against england tell me the difference between an england rugby player and a samoan rugby player in terms of what you get given what you get paid how you get looked after to play an international match oh that's i mean uh, how long how long have we got uh, Roger? we've got plenty of time man we've got plenty of time uh, yeah, I, I think the, the, the biggest um, the biggest uh, difference is obviously in the way that we're remunerated and supported by by our, our national union. So um, the, the the England England uh, Rugby Union and the England Players Association, the RPA, have a, uh, a collective bargaining agreement, which means that any percentage of the of the gates uh, of, of the money that's made on through broadcast or whatever goes to the players, and and and, and if that doesn't go into players' uh, salaries, match payments. It's reinvested into uh, them in terms of player welfare. So all the support mechanisms that uh, you know, the, the physios, the doctors, the uh, you know, the off-field planning, your off uh, uh, out of rugby career planning, all of that sort of stuff is um, is accounted for within that uh, that collective bargaining agreement, which is quite substantial. You know, yeah. um, I think I think um, in the early maybe the early two thousands. The, uh, it's quite a famous story um, for those that know. Um, the England rugby team basically refused to take yep. the field until they, until the RFU um, agreed that this would that this would be the place. Um, we're right at the start of that story um, as Samoan and Pacific Island players, and actually it's a lot harder for us because it's whereas it's in the uh, I guess the English or the Western psyche to you know to stand up for what's what's right and what you what you deserve and what's uh, what's owed to you. It's it's not so much the case in our cultures, and that's where we need a little bit of help um, because uh, you know our, our cultures are all about you never ever question anybody um, that's older than you. Uh, uh, you know, in, in the Samoan culture, it's you, you don't you, you know it's it's respect is 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 an age. Yeah. So the more the more the more grey hair you have on your head, the more, the more you know the more wisdom you you have, and you're respected for that. It's um, and it's not necessarily earned. Um, so that's the difficulty that we have. We don't have a collective bargaining agreement. Um, so it means that um, yeah, when when we play games, you know, we we basically play for free. Um, you know, so just hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. So when you play games, when you come to Europe as the country representing your country, you don't get paid. Don't get paid. So yeah, so so wow. so so something we touch in the film actually um, is just the fact that you know the the host nation don't have to share any of their gate take gate takings. 
um, which is basically the only way that um, that money is going to be made because we don't make, you know, a England never come to to Samoa. We've, we've never hosted England, and even if they did, we wouldn't be able to make any money because we'd be expected to pay, uh, you know, and put them up in a five star hotel with facilities that, um, you know, be fizzing of one fixture that we don't have. So then yeah. you'd have to bring those all in, you know. I, and I, I guess, you know, I guess the gate receipts as well. I guess the the the, the minimum wage there is obviously super low. There'll be no gate receipts, and I'm sure. Have you got a stadium out there that can hold a large number uh, of people? Again, you know, we've got our stadium in Samoa. Uh, well, normally it's a fifteen thousand capacity uh, stadium, but uh, when the All Blacks played, they said, "Look, five thousand of these seats aren't safe, so we can only have." I think they said we'll, we'll allow eight thousand people in. Wow. So we've got a capacity of eight thousand people um, at. I think the, the most they could charge per ticket was 20, 20 pounds. Wow. Um, you know, some don't up, did they? You wouldn't, you wouldn't even get a ticket at Tukitam for, you know, the, the, the worst, you know, in the nosebleed section for, for 20, yeah, for yeah. less than probably 40, 45 You'd be lucky pounds. to get a pie and a pint for that in Tukitam, would you? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, uh, yeah, but mate, those, these are the difficulties we face, you know. Um, it's not necessarily a just a rugby problem. Um, it's an economic problem, but I think yeah. what becomes a rugby issue is that we pride ourselves as a sport on equality, fairness, uh, respect, and all of those values that we, you know, we love about the game. Mm. So if we are going to continue in that, and you know, then we need we need to find solutions to these to these problems. Um, yeah. We can't just bury our head, head in the sand and say, well, that's just the situation. That's just the way it's, it is, and it's always going to be. Actually, no, um, you know, we need to be part of that that solution. Yeah. I feel. So when you retired, you came this year, you set up the Pacific Rugby Players Welfare um, in 2014. You've been working on that for the last six years because I see your passion. You come down and, and we're hooked up in Bournemouth down here yeah. probably about four or five years ago, probably. Um, and I just saw your passion there to open up and bring a lot more to the Pacific Island players and look after them. And that's developed over the last four or five years. Tell me about... Oceans Apart documentary that's just come out on Amazon Prime where you're sort of uh, talking about greed, betrayal and Pacific Island rugby. Tell me why you said why you wanted to do this documentary and what it's about. Yeah, really interesting, Dodge. I think um, it probably stems back to when we when we first met probably four or five years ago. Um, and, you know, the fact that um, I remember one thing you said to me was that, you know, the 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 general rugby public just don't understand uh, these issues, you know, because I know a lot of the stuff you you and me, you know, we, we've got we've got a lot of mutual friends, yeah. and um, and you understood probably more so because you've 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 helped out a lot of our of our players that have faced some of the tough situations that we've. But for the for the the general rugby uh, public, uh, they may have seen you know Manu Tuilangi or Samisa Rokodaguni or Toby Falatel playing for for their their teams, but they wouldn't necessarily know the, the background story. So for, for me, that was that was key really. Is that, you know, and it probably, as I said, started that four or five years ago. How do we how do we educate the the population, you know, the rugby playing public, and and the fans of, of this great game to really understand and be able to get on alongside with us? Because um, you know, aware, you know, change positive change starts. You know, the, the, the seed of that is you know is, is I suppose um, you know raising uh, awareness. 
Um, so that was that was key for us. Um, and you know, um, the fact that oh, I just knew, you know, speaking to people like yourself and you know, and, I'll, and, and the Bournemouth Sevens actually uh, three years ago, you know, just speaking to people who love the game. Yeah. And you know, and and and, and you know, and there was a few of us Pacific Islanders walking around and. You know, they were, they just drew a crowd, and you know everyone loves us because yeah. you know of, the, of what we represent, and you know the fact that there is that we bring that diversity and that uh, flair to the game yeah. that everyone loves. But um, you know, it was just about tapping into that goodwill, really. Um, and how do we do that? We had to raise the awareness levels as to, to the challenges that we face. So mm-hmm. that was probably the you know the, the, the I guess the stem of of what became the Oceans Apart documentary. And yeah. again, you know, we, we you know we we don't see this as a job done now that the documentary is out there. Actually, it's probably the beginning of that you know the next five or ten year journey in terms of you know the outcomes that we really need to see. Um, you know, um, come around the issues that we that we that we highlight in the film, uh, coming to fruition and actually seeing some of that positive change. Hopefully, uh, uh, come through with this uh, increased awareness that's um, been massive. You know, I think in the first uh, three days of of the film being released, we had, it had fifty thousand views, wow. and that's the beauty. That's the beauty of something like you know, like Amazon, um, yeah. where you know now we're actually we're, we're talking to, to, and that's only in the UK. Um, we're now talking to, um, to international distributors about, you know, the possibility of broadcasting to a to an international uh, audience as well, and that's where we believe the change will come is through the raised awareness and the the good that lies in the general rugby public because. You know, I've lost, lost a lot of trust in the um, the rugby hierarchy in terms of the, the governing bodies and all of that sort of stuff. Um, which, um, but you know, I've got a lot of faith in the you and me, you, the you and me in this world, mate. You yeah. know, the the people that are on the ground that just love this game and want to see the right thing done. Yeah. Why do you, is is it world rugby at the top? Do they give money to Samoa and Fiji and Tonga? How do you guys earn money? It's real good. Well, that's that's the way I went into it, thinking you know this is you know uh, world rugby at the, the top of the tree here, and this is where we need to be lobbying. But what became apparent through the um, through the making of this film, it took the, it took us three years to make the, the documentary. Was the right? fact that actually, uh, yeah, um, actually, world rugby um, as, as as much as we think like to think that um, you know they're, they're pulling they're, they're the ones at the top and making all these laws that filter down actually um, rugby union is in a, in a really unique position where actually our governing body aren't doing that at all it's the, the tier one nations the richer nations um, that have all the power um, so they're the ones that in terms of a lot of the reform that we need to see around regulation uh, you know eligibility laws uh, sharing of gates and all that world rugby don't have any uh, power to be able to say and go and say look you should be you know you need to share five or ten percent of your gate takings or the money that you make on these sellout fixtures with uh, these poor nations and I've got no power to do that wow. um, so really we've got to appeal to to those to those nations and and that's the difficulty of whereas um, you know, the RFU, uh, French rugby, you know, two unions who generate now uh, 70% of the of the, of the the money that's in the game. After, Is that right? Uh, generated from those two unions. Wow. Um, they, they, they see themselves as businesses. Um, and that's that's the difficulty now, whereas, you know, we're, we're never going to be as the Pacific Islands, or, as we said, you know, 200,000 people or 100,000 people. We're never going to have, uh, you know, uh, 
investability, I, I guess, is the word, you know, that they're looking for in terms of return on, um, you know, uh, TV audiences and that sort of stuff. But what we do bring is this amazing, you know, amount of professional players, you know, over a quarter of the world's professional players are of, you know, come from, uh, you know, uh, of Pacific Island heritage. Is that right? 25% uh, come from Pacific Island? Yeah, yeah. You're joking uh, me. So it's, uh, yeah, so, wow. so I like to think that we've got value there, even though not might, may not be necessarily monetary value in terms of bums on seats. Um, there's there's got to be there's got to be some sort of value there that we can, um, uh, I guess, you know, leverage. So yeah, it's a, but it is a tough one. If you're enjoying this episode, you can subscribe to the Eventful Entrepreneur now on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. So who is negotiating the deals on behalf of Samoa, Tonga and Fiji when they're coming to play at Twickenham? Again, um, probably that's, that's a really good question, Dodge, um, and, and it's part of the problem. Um, the people that are in power, the you know, the negotiators are our politicians. Uh, a, a lot of the time, you know, um, who've been put in there as token positions, uh, uh, of power, um, not necessarily due to you know any of their um, credentials, um, and as as I've as I've learned over the last three years, far too easily corruptible. Do you think that's part of the problem then? So if you're if imagine if you're sitting at Twickenham now, going, okay, we really want to help Samoa. Okay, let's do a deal. Give them ten percent of the of the gate receipt, which is maybe four hundred grand. Where is that four hundred grand going to go? Exactly. Uh, that's, that's, that's the fear factor, right? Really good point. And this is this is the you know you, you'd be you'd be better off dodge going and flushing that ten grand uh, forty grand down the toilet. <laughs> if I'll be brutally honest, mate, you know. And uh, as I say, I'm a couple of wines in now, but the 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 the, the sentiment's still there. Um, it's got to be it's got to be two pronged. It can't be just we're going to give these guys a whole lot more money. It can't be, you know. It's the the, the governance, and this is one of the key things that we wanted to get across in the film, even though it was was difficult because as me as a Samoan, um, you know, and as hard as, as it is for us to, to question authority in our countries, it had to be done. Um, you know, we couldn't let them off the hook that easily. And actually that's got to be part of the change. It can't just be that we give all this more, this money or we give them, you know, um, equal votes on the on the World Rugby Council. You know, for instance, it's it's, it's got to be it's got to be yeah. Those are those are part of the solution, but they're not the whole solution. Part of that, you know, the big part for me, and you know, probably the major part is the fact that World Rugby uh, have got to get themselves into a position where they can hold these guys to account and actually ensure that the people that are representing them in those uh, unions and our unions are the right people and, and that are there doing that job for the right reasons. Um, and that's really the, the biggest shortfalling of, of world rugby at the moment for me is that they won't hold these, uh, you know, these corrupt officials to to account because they see them as, you know, and, 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 and you know, they've, they've all said it to me, uh, we, we see you as uh, sovereign unions and we don't want to come in as this, you know, overpowering, you know, organisation that, um, that, you know, that forces things down your throats. Ultimately, you've got to want to do that. Mm. Um, yeah, okay, that might work in, 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 in some countries, but in the Pacific Islands, uh, <laughs> yeah. mate, um, it's a, we're a different kettle of fish, you know. Um, so I watched you know. I watched a documentary last night, and I saw you knocking on the door of the chairman of the Samoan Rugby Union. And before you were going into this meeting, you had sweaty palms, you were nervous. Why were you so nervous to go and see him? Oh, mate, yeah, um, 
Mate, I was, I was, I was really, I was really nervous. You know, yeah. I didn't, hadn't even told my family that I was going there because uh, of the the stigma. You know, the fact that you know, my my, my family live on on uh, at the time of the filming, were living on government land. Um, so me going in there asking questions, you know, it wouldn't, you know, by the end of the day, by the time I left that office, it wouldn't have, you know, I was expect fully expecting to, you know, then to, you know, to be uh to probably have that letter of uh see ya. <laughs> yeah, yeah, later, mate. Um, you know, your, your farm's gone, and that's and ultimately yeah. that's their livelihood, you know, in, in the islands, your your land is your livelihood. Um, so so it was a real, you know, risk. Um, to go and do that, but again, as I said, you, um, you know, the, the problem with the country of two hundred thousand people is everyone knows someone, everyone, yeah. you know, that, um, everyone's related to somebody, and um, if if we all have, and actually, one of the signatories on um, on a lot of the misspending that we talk about in the film, you know, we had a, we had a million Samoan dollars um, go missing, um, and one of the one of the key signatories on that. Uh, on and that hold on, uh, hold on, hold on. Whoa, whoa, whoa. A million dollars just gone missing from the Samoan Rugby Union. Yeah. Um, wow. So, uh, yeah. So we. When? I mean, we, when? We, when? We, well, yeah, and that, that's 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 an estimate because no one knows. I mean, it could have been a lot more than that, but that's what they know. That's what they know's uh, gone missing. When was um, this, Dan? Was, what year? I was, yeah, I was I was involved in um, fundraisers in uh, in Samoa where we'd, we'd go down and we'd push a you know we'd push a wheelbarrow down a street. Um, with businesses, you know, down the down the high street, and you know, families and friends, and everyone will be filling up these wheelbarrows with cash. I think we filled up the wheelbarrow four or five times with cash. Went and emptied it into a pickup um, about three or four times. Um, pickup full of full of cash, and then the, the the whole pickup just goes missing. You know, there's no records of that. So they, let's break that down. Then, where did those wheelbarrows go? And where did that money go? Surely someone must know who's accountable for that. The, the thing is, you just you just never. Yeah, I mean, we you have your suspicions, but there's no proof. There's no evidence. Again, um, people don't like to ask questions because you know it's a small small country. Um, as I, as I was saying earlier, one of my, one of the signatories on a lot of the spending, the misspending, of somewhere rugby union was one of my relatives. So that brought up these all these issues with my you know with my family and saying, well, actually, Dan, if you're gonna you know do you have to be making this document? Entry. Um, is it right that you should be, you know, sh- effectively shaming some of the people in our family? Um, but the, the problem being is that if, if we, if, if you, if you constantly bow down to those pressures, yeah, nothing's, nothing's ever going to change. So um, yeah, so so that was probably some of my personal motivations dodge for for doing it. Um, but you know, yeah, probably hasn't left me the most popular person in um, in, in world rugby. Definitely in no, Samoa. Um, no, but Dan, I, what you're doing, mate, is powerful. Honestly, what you're doing is powerful. And when this comes out and goes viral, and your a documentary goes viral, you're going to have a lot of backing because you're without you, we wouldn't be you wouldn't be where you are today. You're protecting 600 members of your Pacific Island rugby players right now. Yeah, and growing and growing. Uh, I think the good, the, the brilliant thing is, is that you know, um, I think you know the, the players aren't stupid. Our play, you know, our players have uh, come through, been through a lot, um, and they know, you know, they they know the truth out there. And I think it's hopefully that part of this is inspiring, um, you know, the next generation of players to actually question things, because uh, that's something that, that's definitely got to change in our cultures. Is this whole uh, respect? Because respect's great, um, but respect's got to be earned, you know, and. Uh, yeah. And, um, you know, if you're just giving respect because they've got more, as I said earlier, uh, grey hair on their head than you, mm. then uh, that's, that's not a good That's got to change. 
That's got yeah. that's got to, that's got to change. Is there any way of being able to negotiate with the the, the nations and saying we would like ten percent of the of the gate receipts, and that money gets put into an escrow account that facilities and rugby balls and pads and kit can then be bought and signed off by that nation that goes straight into someone with that nation knowing that you guys are going to get all of this stuff. Yeah, um, it's. I mean, that's 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 the goal. Uh, we can only put it to them. Uh, I don't know if really we've got anything to negotiate with, apart from you know um, the your players that everyone wants to watch. The players, exactly. <laughs> How about that? You know, but it's, people, it's, I know yeah. if Samoa came <laughs> to play England, people are like, oh my god, this is going to be a brutal game. People want to come and watch Samoa play. Yeah, don't yeah, underestimate no, the power of your players, man. It's true, yeah, and that's probably the the biggest leverage uh, point of leverage that we've got. Um, the unfortunate thing is, whereas normal, you know, you know, and, and when we spoke about it earlier, you know, when England in in the early two thousands or late nineties, you know, moved to strike that game, I think I think it was against uh, I can't remember, it might have been against Argentina or someone, yeah. and they actually got the successes they needed for that collective bargain agreement to come to to the fore to. Um, we're not in a position. Our players, uh, you know, if, if I was to suggest a player strike to them, uh, there's a lot to risk um, because a lot of those guys have, you know, 20, 30 people that they're supporting. Um, in, in some cases, whole villages, and that's where it becomes difficult because uh, um, you're not just talking about you're risking your own livelihood. You're you're talking about a lot of dependents as well. Is that because what, that is that because they're sending money home? Yes. Well, surely, surely you you surely you tee up a match and then do what England did. You know, say a stadium fills out of in in Dublin, 60, 50, 60, 70 thousand, and you guys the week before say we're not playing until we get paid proper money. Yeah. As a promoter yeah. or an event organizer, that's your that's your worst case. That's that's the worst possible case. So you'd go, let's pay them their due and get let's get the game on. Yeah, and um, we, were, we were very close to doing that in 2014. Uh, as when I was the player, we, we we basically had that, that very conversation. Um, the risk, the, the problem was this, was that um, World Rugby came down as like a ton of rigs saying, "Look, actually, if you if you don't agree to play this game, not only will you, you know, possibly be liable to the losses." Uh, the RFU could possibly face, such as the Barbas are facing now yep. with the uh, the whole COVID yeah. uh, on the booze. Uh, <laughs> yep, yep. Um, but also, but also, but also, the, you know, the, the one that, that stung us the most was that they said, "Look, um, if you don't play, we, we will possibly remove Samoa from the World Cup. Uh, sorry, from the Olympic qualifying process as well for the seven aside, which um, which had a big impact on the local players because whereas none of those sevens players were in our squad at the time." A lot of the, the 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 players in Samoa were that was their big aspiration yeah. to play sevens because we don't have you know um, and that's their only way off the island to make you know to make a name for themselves in rugby and to to, to for us to risk that and take that away from them uh, that was that was probably too, you know they they just made it so hard for us in terms of some of the, the threats that they started laying down so um, we probably balls that up uh, looking back on it you know I'm six six years six years later I'm thinking we should have just gone through with it yeah hundred percent. We should, have, we should have just struck at the time and just gone through with it, and we might not be in the situation that we're in now. But um, you know, we probably missed a, a big, big opportunity there because it takes a long, lot, long, you know, another generation to come to that realization now. You know, and that might not happen for ten or 15, 20 years. I think so, I think you could orchestrate it, 
And I would, and I think, and I think you'd get a lot of backing from the rugby public if that was the case. Just out of interest, when you wanted to do that, how long was it before you were going to kick off? Oh, geez, we were we 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 basically sent we we sent a letter to the uh, to World Rugby. a week, two weeks before before we were supposed to play in England, we said, "Look, if things don't change, we, we won't be playing this match." Um, were you in the country at the time, or were you in Samoa? Was everyone in Samoa? No, we were in, yeah, we we're in. Uh, we were, I think we were in Italy. So we had a three match tour. We played uh, Canada, and then we played Italy, and then and our final fixture was against England at Twickenham. And we thought, "Geez, okay, um, that, that's the one to target because uh, that's the biggest fixture. That's where all the eyes are on Samoa versus England. No one cares about Samoa versus Italy or Canada." But um, that's that's the big one. So, um, yeah, again, you know, I look back on it now and I think, flip, if, you know, if, if I had my time again and, um, you know, yeah. we probably would have um, been better to push through with it then. Uh, we might not have had to be having this conversation that we're having now, Dodge, and also probably wouldn't have had to spend the last three years making a, a film to raise the awareness if we had, if we had um, dealt with things, um, you know, when we did. But we didn't. Um, and let's just hope that, um, you know, um, we don't have to wait, you know, for that sort of situation to arise again for things to change. I think hope my, my hope is that through the awareness that's been drummed up in the uh, in the Ocean Spark film is that, you know, with the, the public behind us, um, you know, um, that we can get the effective change that we need without having to, you know, do that worst case, case scenario, which is which is effectively striking striking games, which no one wants to see, you know, it's not good for the players. Um, particularly at the moment when we haven't got that many fixes, you know, Samoa hasn't played a game since the World Cup. So, um, you know, but it's not good for the fans. It's not good for the image of the game either. And, you know, I, th- I think we need to we need to really just look at ourselves retrospectively and s- say to ourselves, look, what are the values of the game? Are we aligned with those? No. Okay, well, how can we get back to that without having to go down the path of being forced to the, to the table, I suppose? Mm. How much is that of interest? How much is a yearly salary in Samoa? I think the uh, average uh, salary is about uh, seventeen thousand tala, which is about probably about six thousand pounds. Wow! Uh, so this could so basically, you don't get paid a penny to play in any of these games when you come and tour. Six thousand pounds is a yearly salary for each player average back home in Samoa. If yeah. they got six grand each for one game out here, they're doubling their yearly salary from home. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, that's life changing for people. It is, yeah, and, and and a lot of us are on good salaries. I, I can understand, you know, one of the arguments that some people said, "Well, you're all on good club contracts, so don't you know? So why do you need that?" But but you know, not all of us are. You know, every every tour, there's there's four or five guys uh, from Samoa who come along on the tours, and they're on. You know, Milani Masaval uh, was a, one of our halfbacks in, uh, on that tour in 2015. Uh, the game that we're about to strike, and he was on. He was back in Samoa. He, he was earning a pound a day as a farmer. You know, it's like that's wow. that's all he had. He didn't have anything else than that. So it was, you know, for the fact for him to come all the way to England, play in front of a sellout stadium, and return back to his, you know, to, to his farm on a pound a day with nothing, wow. it just didn't sit wow. right, mate. Yeah. Wow, that's just that's just insane. That's just madness. Why has someone not jumped on this? I know we're we're jumping on this. Surely there's some. Wealthy, wealthy people out there who could understand and get behind you guys to get out there. People would people would travel every part of the country to come and see Samoa play at Twickenham. 
rest or okay, another stadium. Yeah, and that's 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 what we want to see. You know, like uh, when I when I've spoken, um, you know, I've spoken to the guys that I've played with, um, you know, uh, or against, you know, and you know, the England players would love to come come out to Samoa, mm. you know, and what an experience that would be for for players and fans, and the fact Absolutely. that it hasn't happened. You know, um, you know. I think um, we've played England seven times, and none of them, seven or eight times in our history, none of them have been in Samoa. You know, um, yeah. we'd like to think that at least once in our lifetime. What uh, What do you think's fair? Yeah. Absolutely. What What do you think's fair? Tell me if you're you're flying over. Samoan teams coming over to play Ireland and England. What's fair? I'd love to see the. I mean, I think it's. You know, and, and, and rugby is based on a recipro- reciprocal agreement at the moment. So the, the reason why we, we come to Samoa uh, is Samoa to play England at Twickenham and we don't get any of the gate receipts is because it's based on the, this reciprocal agreement, so, so which which says that, you know, when we play you at ours, we, we keep all our gate receipts and everything that's generated. And when we play you at yours, you keep all yours. But it's not a reciprocal agreement if no one ever comes out. Yeah. And and as we said earlier, you know, those some of those factors, you know, even if they did, we wouldn't make any money. So it's got to be a fair reciprocal agreement. And that's the that's the bottom line for me. So so it's gotta be some sort of, you know, when the FA Cup's played, you know, you see Chelsea play at Brentford, um, you know, but uh, and, and vice versa, but you know, that not the same money is being generated, but a percentage from the yeah. bigger team goes down to the small to the smaller yeah. team. Uh, and, 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 and that's fair. And that's that's what I think we need to see in rugby is A, um, there needs to be a fair share of the of the profits that are being made from the game, but B, that reciprocal uh uh match has got to be played so every time that japan plays you know wales or or samoa or fiji play against uh italy or or england that has to be reciprocated with a match within the next say three years um and and not at the expense of of the of the, of the host union without you know unless that sort of that, that um that money is being fairly distributed which means that we don't have to go you know because we had you know a match against the all blacks in 2015 um, but we lost a million dollars, you know, five hundred thousand pounds, because you know we just couldn't, couldn't you know, we wouldn't have the, you know, the facilities, the yeah. the facilities to, to be able to, yeah. you know, to maximise that. So, so it can't be the case. So, so that for me is a structural issue that's got to be put in place by World Rugby, um, because yeah, uh, you know, it's just the old saying, mate. You know, the turkeys aren't going to vote for Christmas. To expect the tier one nations to 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 change the situation when they're making a lot of money um, uh, off us, and where they really just see the Pacific Islands at the moment as you know that conveyor belt of talent to uh, to prop up their 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 competitions, their national teams, um, that's never going to change as long as money is the um, is the overriding factor here. So it's got to New Zealand got to come from the governing body. Mm. But New Zealand go to Twickenham, they take 40 percent of the Gate receipt is that correct? Yeah, they do. And, and and if and if England and if they and if England say no, they just New Zealand just say, look, we're not going to play you then. And that's Absolutely. why we hardly see the games, you know. But um, and that's the difficulty though is that New Zealand and New Zealand, you know, when you're a top side, um, you can command that, uh, you know, that market value. Um, for a smaller side like Samoa, if we say no, if we say no to the terms that are thrown down to us, then England just say, okay, well, we'll play the Barbers or we'll play Georgia or we'll, we'll invite Japan. So, so basically. We we're stuck in a between a rock and a hard place because if we say no, we won't agree to playing for nothing. Then we just don't get to play any tier one opposition. It's horrible, man. There's no I can't see where the where the end game is with this. 
you know, yeah. and it's, it's a it's it's sad to see. But going back to the documentary, you obviously flew into you met obviously Ben Ryan who looked after the Fijian team. Tell me about Francis Keane, who's the Fiji he, rugby chairman. Did you go and see a, him? I, I didn't see him. He'd, he'd res- actually resigned just before I was uh, flying out there, which was unfortunate. Um, but um, yeah, uh, I don't know if I would have. Um, <laughs> he would have been. Yeah, he he would have been one of those risky kind of guys to go and see anyway. Um, he, you know, he was Fiji um, chairman, chairman of Fiji Rugby, uh, convicted murderer. Um, hadn't, and and again, I haven't got a problem with people making mistakes. The problem with Francis Keane was that he hadn't served a sentence. You know, he'd killed some. He killed his uh, killed somebody at his at, at a wedding. Basically, um, punched the guy to death, um, and um, and gone to jail. But instead of serving his eight year sentence, he served he served the two month sentence, and that was our big issue. Really, was two months. The politics of the of the situation got him out, and his his proximity to the president of Fiji, uh, Frank Bunny Marama. So he was now president of Fiji Rugby. But you know, again, that could have probably you know just festered along, and we wouldn't have uh, bothered about it. But um, the fact that um, World Rugby then saw it fit to, to nominate him to the Exco Committee, which is nine people who basically are the most powerful people in the game that decide everything, you know, in terms of uh, funding, um, you know, who the t- you know the Rugby World Cup schedule, all of that sort of stuff. They saw it fit to put this guy on their council. Um, wow! We just, as an organisation, we had to say something. So uh, we rose uh, the awareness to that in the community. Actually, put enough pressure on uh, on World Rugby um, for them to you know to 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 to, to retract his um, his nomination, and, and subsequently he was uh, rotated out of the Fiji Championship. But um, um, you know, basically they, they got rid of them. So that was, you know, and, yeah, something we felt really strongly that needed to happen because, again, you know, if we're going to have the right, you know, pe- people in those positions, they've got to be the right people. And, um, you know, it's important for us as Pacific Islands that we have the right people in the right positions moving forward, even if it means short-term uh, pain for long-term gain. Um, you know, people are saying, well, hold on, Surely having someone, a representative of, of Fiji on the Exco committee would have been better than having nobody. Um, yeah. Well, actually, no, no, because in the long run, it's, you know, if you, you know, if that's your character and rugby is all about character, it's about, you know, um, it's about, um, you know, um, we've got to have the right people in, in there because um, otherwise it's just going to be this continual cycle of, um, you know, of, poor governance and we've got to make that change but we've got to be part of that as, as PRPW as an organisation to actually stand up even against our own people at times um, that we know uh, you know uh, you know basically corrupt um, for us to you know to have any cred- credibility in the space mm. powerful man this is powerful what's that <laughs> how much money would Samoan rugby need today to create the facilities that you would like. I'm not talking about building a brand new spanking stadium or anything like that, but how much money do you need to get the facilities that you can offer the up and coming kids coming through and the current players you've got? Yeah. Um, geez, you know, that, that's probably a lot, lot further forward than I've, that I've thought about. Uh, yeah. um, Dodge, you know, um, f- f- for me, it's, We've got to look at, and it's actually it's probably not even a money a money situation here. We've got well, 
money's part of the part of the answer, but it's not, not the whole answer. Yeah. I don't think you could just say, look, if you chucked if you chucked uh, a billion pounds into someone, rugby would be game changers. Uh, let's just break sport. it. Let's just break it down. If there was a hundred thousand pound, and that was used well, what would you spend that hundred thousand pounds on? Yeah. Well, for, for me, we've, we've got to look at this problem of why um, why our players are all moving overseas, yeah. and that's and that's probably where you start. And it's it's the base of that pyramid, mate. So the national team can only go as high as the base of the pyramid allows it to. You know, if if the, if the, if the national tide is the peak of that, of that pyramid, and um, at the moment, our our our, our players, our, all of our good players, you know, that show any sort of potential. Uh, at the base of the New Zealand rugby pyramid yeah. or the Australian rugby pyramid. They're not building that pyramid, you know, of, of Fiji or New Zealand or somewhere or Tonga, sorry. Yeah. Um, so, so we need to look at the ways that those players can look at staying. So that the, or, or the reason why they're not staying probably, you know, or money. So, so, yep. So, well, lack of opportunity. Opportunity. So they're, going, so they're going, so they're going to New Zealand and Australia for scholarship opportunities because there's no, you know, no, um, you know, or well, there's a there's 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 a lack of educational facilities uh, to the level that there are in other countries in, in the islands. So that's probably one protocol I'd look at, and and also as you said, you know, the lack of a, um, a professional pathway. So yeah. if you want to play professionally, you've got to go to those countries anyway. So that's why they're, they're all leaving, you know, because if you're 17 or 18 and you're and you're any good at rugby, you've got to go to those countries. Yeah. And and and, they, and you know and, and and as we saw in the making the documentary, um, for you to go to those countries, normally they'd want you to qualify for those countries. Yeah. Um, you know, and uh, and also that just so so we've got to look at that bigger picture. For me, it's grassroots, mate, and it's exactly what you what you guys have identified in uh, in with the Bournemouth Sevens, and you know, um, and that's a mess, you know, and you see that replicated all over the UK. Um, we've got to get to that stage, you know. And in, in, in Samoa, you can't play you can't play any um, junior rugby until you go to high school. Um, so that's so it's, it's just um, you know there's there's a massive lack of funding for grassroots rugby. Yeah. And what World Rugby do do for us now is they put money into a high performance unit. Yeah. But that's that's very much of it again all focused at that top of the pyramid. None of it's filtering down into the into the you know into that into that base. So for me, that's you know any money that's generated out of um, out of the sports or the recognition for Ocean's Part or anything that we do following that has got to go into that into widening that base. Mm. Uh, but again, I kind of I, I kind of look at that and think, well, if you're getting six grand a year in Samoa and someone like Leicester or Wasps or a French team says, yeah, there's eighty grand or a hundred grand straight away, you're going to jump, surely. Yeah. Yeah, and, and exactly that, and, and that's where, for, for the for the amount of money that the Pacific Islands are making world rugby, and the, you know the tier one nations in terms of competitions, World Cups, all of that, if that money was being generated back into the islands and allowed us to to you know to to develop these professional sides in the islands, which I think would be sustainable. You know, you look at um, the Chiefs played the Crusaders last year in Fiji, and it was a sellout, thirty thousand seater uh, stadium. Oh wow. We love rugby, um, yeah. But you know, um, but yes, yeah, so, you know, the, 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 there's the potential there, but it just it's going to require the right people coming around the table to put these proposals, develop them, 
um, to the point where actually something good comes out of them. And at the moment, I haven't got any confidence that uh, the right people are around those you know, those decision-making tables, if, if I'll be quite frank. Do you know how many players played at the World Cup in Japan who were Pacific Islanders who weren't actually playing for Samoa and Fiji? They were playing for other countries. Uh, 43 players, I think. Was that uh, right? You, yeah, 40, 43 players. So, yeah, basically almost three teams or two full quads. So, it's a, yeah, it was a, it was a lot. And, uh, you know, but again, you know, we we encourage those, you know, we don't want, want to see that change. Yeah. We think that that's, you know, that's a great reflection of the migration of our of our, of our people to those, you know, uh, to those countries and the fact that they've been embraced and they've done well to get to those positions. Um, what we'd like to see is, you know, the um, a bit more, you know, I guess embracing of uh, and, and, and opportunity for the guys that do decide to and to make that decision easier for those guys or um, to play for their island nations, but also at the end of their careers, particularly those guys of tier one or at the beginning of their careers. And in some instances, you know, like a young player who looks like he might be able to play for the All Blacks in a couple of years, um, but isn't quite there yet to be able to actually give back something to yeah. the Pacific Island nation. So yeah, it's yeah. important that we have those that dialogue and um, those discussions um, to, you know, to, to, to really get those. Uh, that happening. And how are the Pacific Island boys when they finish their career? Do they know what they're doing straight after? And how is their mental health? Probably less so than, than other ethnicities. I think with the, the Islanders, I think we're, we are, is, I touched on earlier, um, you know, we, we are very hand to mouth. So everything we earn, we a lot of the cases we just spend straight away, yep. whether it's looking after other people or just, you know, enjoying enjoying life in general, you know. Um, and, yeah, um, and you worry about tomorrow, tomorrow. That's a, that's yeah. a saying, you know. Yeah. Um, so we've got, a, we've got a bit of work to do there, mate. Um, mm. Yeah, mental health, uh, we've got the highest uh, cases of suicide, um, players uh in the world yeah. that are you know um uh, and we've got the highest rates of youth suicide in, in, in the islands as well so mental health is a big problem you know guys coming out the other end of the game with uh, very little to show for it yeah. um after you know sometimes 10 15 year careers is uh is really worrying you know um yeah. so we've got that, that's a big big part of our job as a Pacific rugby players welfare it's not just the advocacy and looking at all these issues that we've spent the last uh, sort yeah. of hour talking about but, yeah. but also um developing um plans where we can actually uh, affect that you know those those guys when they come to the end of their careers and help them make that transition as smooth as possible but um yeah, yeah re- re- really really difficult um, yeah. particularly um, given that yeah some of that, that stuff we've already spoken about yeah how's big uh, how's big Trev Trev Liotta where's he at the moment in the world mate he's doing really well actually um, you know he'd be the first to admit that he hasn't always been but uh, he's he's selling mortgages now in uh, down in Melbourne in, uh, in Australia actually and actually not not just mortgage I, I do, do him a disservice by saying that um, he's He's um, he's he's worked out a um, scheme by where young uh, Pacific Island families can uh, get, can get on the housing uh, ladder yeah. um, with a lot less um, uh, deposit than normally you'd need to get a mortgage. So um, he sees that as his way of giving back to the community, yeah. and uh, he's he's doing really well, mate. It's really good to see him back That's on quality. the going What a player! Some- Tough, uh, yeah, he's gone through a tough time since retirement. Is you know, yeah. um, he's one of those guys that you know automatically you probably think, well, um, but you know, um, but he's he's redeemed that, so yeah, and I'm really happy for him, yeah, mate. What a player, man! What a player. Yeah, fantastic what a player. player. Yeah, I would hate to have played against him. 
I played against them once and it was only in a social game and I yep. still got smashed. You smashed it. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, I have it to say... Even, it wasn't even full contact. So. <laughs> <laughs> Dan, I've really thoroughly enjoyed this and it's been a real honest chat. And you know what? Hats off to you for what you're doing for the boys, the Pacific Rugby Players Welfare that you've set up. For you to spend three, four years doing this documentary massive massive respect to you and i think there's going to be a lot a lot of love in in this country for you and for all the players and i just hope everyone gets behind it and really shows their support thanks dodge mate i really appreciate that and uh you know if, um we've got a, we've got a good history mate me and you and uh i've loved all the work that you've done with uh with bournemouth sevens i had a really good time down there a couple of years ago where i stayed over overnight camp pitched the uh pitched the tents up in the <laughs> In the uh, general general admission area yeah. there with a couple of mates made and it got absolutely uh, wasted. All, 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 the, all, the kids, all the kids there made. I was probably the oldest there by about 15 or 20 years, but I still really enjoyed it, mate. And I hopefully, hopefully I can do that again soon. Eh? Yeah, mate, you've got an open ticket VVIP all weekend, mate. You know that. All the boys have. Appreciate it, brother. Quality, Appreciate man. It. And 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 I'll speak to you later about it, but we're doing an, uh, an online course, which I think will be great. I had Brett Gosper on here the other day, who is the oh, CEO yeah. of World Rugby, and he thinks it's great that this online events course for the players in this country. But I think once we launch it in 2021, let's, let's reach out and let's um, see how we can help the players on that side of things as well. Definitely, mate. Now, totally open to, to everything you guys are doing yeah. and really appreciate everything you're doing to support not just, uh, you know, the English players, but, you know, the, the, the worldwide players. Yeah, mate. This, this great game, mate. I know the good stuff that you're doing in the background for a lot of our boys, so I uh, yeah. really appreciate it, Dodge, and um, mate, uh, long mate, continue. You're a gentleman, Dan. I thoroughly enjoyed this, buddy. You take care. Cheers, brother. Hope to catch Lovely. up soon, mate. Nice one, mate. Cheers, bud. Thanks for listening to The Eventful Entrepreneur. Join the conversation today. Review and subscribe for free on iTunes now.